a lot of times people have problems with plotting because they're doing too general and they're looking too much at the big picture. And if you pull down and look specifically at what has to, needs to be done, especially externally, because a lot of times you get that, well, they want to be happy. They want to find love. You know, they want to, they want to live happily ever after. It's like, yeah, that that's great, but that's internal. That's, that's not external. So you see, think that what specifically has to be done? What's the specific problem? Hello, and welcome to The Writer's Mindset with me, Christina Adams. And me, Ellie Betts. Each week, we're here to bring you the strategies and advice you need to achieve your writing goals. This week, we're talking to Janice Hardy about creating conflict in our fiction. Janice Hardy is the award-winning author and founder of the popular writing site Fiction University, where she helps writers improve their craft and navigate the crazy world of publishing. She teaches writing workshops across the country, and her blog has been recognized as a top writing blog by Writer's Digest. She also spins tales of adventure for both teens and adults, and firmly believes that doing terrible things to her characters makes them more interesting in a good way. She loves talking with writers and readers and encourages questions of all types, even the weird ones. I spoke to Janice about what conflict is, why it's often confused with tension, and how Downton Abbey is a great example of building tension. Downton Abbey is one of my favourite series, but I had never really looked at it in that way before, so that's interesting. Did you rewatch the first episode after I mentioned it to you? Have you had a chance yet? Yes, I see what you mean, though. I had never considered it before. But rewatching it, you can see how well they did build the tension in the first episode. So I'm excited to learn more about this from Janice. Oh, yeah. And I think if you want to build your characters and learn how to build tension and conflict in the character-focused way, Downton Abbey is a really great example. Particularly that first episode, I think. If you find this or our other episodes valuable, you can support us over on Patreon. You'll get early access to episodes bonus content and our undying gratitude for supporting all the work that goes into creating these episodes to inspire and motivate you to find out more visit patreon.com forward slash writers mindset and just a big thank you to all our lovely patrons because it's really nice to know that we are loved and supported and doing something that really means something because sometimes when you're recording these it can feel like you're recording into the ether Oh, definitely. It's hard to, sometimes it's hard to remember that people are actually listening to us and ramble on and stuff. So having those those few lovely, lovely people out there that want to support us on Patreon means the absolute world. Exactly. So how has your writing been this week? Slower than I would like, but it's progress. I've started to have early beta reader comments back for Hollywood Heartbreak as well. And they're currently revolving around, I hate you. So, Which just goes to show that you are still very good at torturing your characters. Yeah, I mean, I keep saying it, but I will say it again, it's called Hollywood Heartbreak for a reason. And it's probably <laughs> the most fitting title I have ever had, even though my book titles are literally where the books are set. It's a good title. What else has been going on this week? I've been having some issues with my knees. And it, it was an injury I got a couple of years ago. I sprained my knee when I was carrying Millie and my knee bashed against the kitchen tiles. And those things are solid, but quite slippery sometimes. And this was like two years ago. And I've not had an issue for like a year, but I started exercising more and it was going really well. I was going on the Peloton that we got recently and I had to stop going on it because obviously it was upset my knee. And I realized what triggered my knee problems this morning. I'm very curious. So I don't know how much you know about Peloton bikes, but basically your foot is strapped in as if you're like on a professional bike. So you're clipped in and out so that you literally can't go anywhere. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And because this is how little muscle capacity I have, I literally cannot get my foot out of the fucking pedal. I am twisting my knee, trying to detach my foot from the pedal. <laughs> and that's how you re-injured your knee. <laughs> that's how I re-injured my knee. <laughs> no, even from exercising, morning, just from getting ready to exercise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the left one, I don't have an issue with, but I think the right one is just slightly tighter. And it was so bad this morning that I left my shoe on the Peloton and <laughs> just walked off, basically. 
<laughs> just came up. And then yeah. your boyfriend walks in like, why is there just a shoe attached? <laughs> he didn't actually notice because he hasn't been on it yet today. But I, I did point it out to him. I was like, I, I cannot do this. This is ridiculous. So he had a look <laughs> at the pedal and at my shoe and obviously got it off. And he's going to oh, see about dear. loosening the fitting a bit. So I'm not twisting my knee every time I go to exercise because that does yes. defeat the object of actually exercising. Can't make it up, can you? No. Exercise to be healthy and end up breaking yourself more. Like if you wrote that into a book that the character hurt their knee coming on and off the exercise machine, no, people would be like, that's ridiculous. You can't have that. You need a better way to injure your knee. <laughs> and yet, here we are. What about you, anyway? <laughs> I'm doing good. I mean, I've done writing this week. Um, I'm absolutely loving writing the Alex Warrington stuff. It makes me very happy. Yay! And I think it's funny, so that's also nice. <laughs> no one else might think it's funny, um, but still, it's good. And it's still in the first draft stage, obviously, but I'm just enjoying that freedom and playing around with it and not worrying too much, you know, just getting it on the page without the pressure of assignments and, you know, making sure you're writing in the right way and stuff for the assignments or et cetera, et cetera. So I'm having a lot of fun with that. I've also been, not that it's writing related, but I have been doing stuff at the allotment as well which isn't very exciting, which is the, the, the garlic's finally growing. And that's the only thing that's growing. And I don't really like garlic. So they're supposed to be easier, which is why we're doing them. Um, and it's rained a lot recently, which I don't have to go and water them. So <laughs> that's nice. And then the only other thing I've been doing is uh, hanging around in our Facebook group. <laughs> yes, we, we're trying to post a bit more like news related stuff in there as well, because I think mm. it's important to keep informed of all these trends and what's going on and yeah, like book, that. book and writing news, not just, you know, the shit stuff. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. We don't want borders <laughs> on fire stuff. We want useful no. stuff that can help you with your writing. Exactly. Yeah, just to clarify, I I, I avidly avoid the world is on fire stuff. I don't read the news. That's terrible. But You, you, know, you don't stuff. need to because if you need to know anything, you just ask me or my boyfriend. Because... I was about to say, you update me on all the important stuff. Exactly. If there's something I need to know about, I'll do my research, but I, don't, I just can't stand it. So okay. we'll be sharing lots of useful writing news and updates and things like that in the Facebook group from now on. And um, along with our usual discussions of writing and exactly. branding and publishing and pets. Mm. I just keep posting pictures of Frankie because everyone seems to like them. Shall we go see what Janice had to say about Downton creating conflict and tension and all the writing things? Well, we should, but I feel like we should first tell people to go to writerscookbook.com forward slash Facebook group to oh, go yeah. and find all the things we were just talking about. Yes, that's a good shout. That Once will more. magically redirect you to the Facebook group if you're lazy mm-hmm. like me and don't want to do the searchy thing on Facebook because your laptop's really old and slow or... I don't know, actually, if Facebook search does come up with us near the top if you search the writer's mindset. I don't know. But the easy way, writerscookbook.com forward slash Facebook group. And then other than that, yes, Janice's interview sounds like a fantastic idea right now. Today, I am joined by Janice Hardy. Welcome to The Writer's Mindset. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be here. So tell myself and the listeners a little bit about yourself. About me. Okay. Uh, Well, I'm kind of a writer who wears two different hats, uh, which is bad because I can never focus on anything for too long. I'm always jumping back and forth between fiction and nonfiction. Uh, I started out loving writing novels and stories and creating worlds. And I did that. But then after I got published and the more I started getting into the writing, I loved being into writing and analyzing what makes writing work. You know, it's not just about people saying, well, you should do this or you should do that, or giving those kind of vague generalities that we all see that frustrate us to no end. I'm like, well, what, how does it work? And then I started teaching that and discovered I had a knack for it and then discovered I really enjoyed doing it, which led to creating uh, my my blog and my website, Fiction University, which I've been doing for about 13 years now, which is all about writing, all about publishing and it digs in and it's a lot of fun. And then I did the craft books and I did novels. So yeah, so on the writing and the business side, that's me. <laughs> I'm kind of a writing geek, I guess. And I write science fiction and fantasy for both uh, adults and children. So I kind of run the gamut of stuff. And uh, I'm a big gaming geek and I'm a movie buff. And so anything that has anything to do with stories, I'm absolutely there. That's that's my 
my happy place <laughs> yeah i can relate um my co-host ellie and i we're big on um talking pop culture and games and tv and pretty much anything with a story with her you have written a really great book on conflict so let's go right back to the beginning then why is conflict important in stories it is the reason the story exists uh, i mean there's that famous uh, example they have it you know the the king died and, the, and then the queen died and those are just two things that happened. But the king died and then the teen queen died of grief that like is a story kind of thing. And which I guess doesn't really fit on conflict. So really bad example on that one. But um, but it shows that conflict is at the core of every every story. If there is not a reason for your protagonist to actually act or do something and solve a problem, then you have no story. You just have people wandering around having feelings, describing things or whatever. I mean, the conflict is the problem. So without it, what's the point of the book? Why are you telling the story if you don't have that problem you're trying to solve? So it's critical. Definitely. Why do you think some people confuse the term conflict? Because it has a lot of different uh, definitions and people use it differently depending on the context. So you can say conflict and you can be talking about like a structural conflict. Is it a person versus person, a person versus society, a person versus, you know, magic or whatever. It, that is more of, um, of a structural narrative style of how you're going to tell your story. That's one version of it. You also have your core conflict, which is again, the point of the book. This is the reason why you're trying to, to solve this plot and fix whatever it is. It's, you know, catching the killer. It's getting the two lovebirds together. It's stopping the world, you know, stopping the evil wizard and saving the world. That's your, your core conflict. Then you have your individual scene conflicts where what's the conflict in that scene that is going to make whatever the goal that your protagonist has harder to accomplish, you know, and that's, that's very different from a core conflict because that conflict might be, how do we convince the bartender to give up the key to the room so we could sneak in and get the, the plans, you know, and that that's a completely different type of conflict. And then there's a lot of people who refer to conflict and it's almost interchangeable with tension. So they might say there's no conflict in this scene or what they mean is there's no tension. There might be conflict. Conflict is there, but it's not actually affecting anything yet. Yes, there's an obstacle, but the obstacle is so easy to get over that there's no tension in it. So yes, there's conflict, but it's the tension that's not there. And they use it kind of interchangeably with that. Then there's the whole external conflict versus internal conflict thing. So a lot of times people refer to conflict and they're thinking more of an internal conflict, especially as it relates to a character arc. Because it's like, oh, the conflict is the conflict of the character. What's their flaw? How are they growing? What's the character arc? So unless you know what context somebody is talking about, if they give you feedback or they talk about it, if they're thinking about an external conflict and you're thinking about a character arc conflict, there's going to be a big disconnect and there's going to be a lot of confusion. So I think that's where a lot of people struggle, especially new writers who are still learning their feet and still trying to figure out how to write and how all these various pieces work together. And, and yeah, so if you're looking at a different context of conflict then you're going to be totally lost would you say every scene needs some form of conflict every scene yes uh because that's part of scenes the whole point of a scene is to have your protagonist with a goal they're motivated to overcome that goal and there is something in the way of preventing them getting that goal if you don't have that such you know your famous your gmc your goal motivation conflict i like to add stakes onto that as well uh because if there, you really want some type of stake otherwise why bother what's the point if there's nothing at stake why are we doing this um but yeah that's your gmc that is the engine that is driving your scene if you don't have a conflict then you don't have a scene now you might have a sequel which is fine and that's a completely different beast and probably a completely different interview uh but but that's you know but you won't have a scene so yeah every scene needs conflict because that's the whole reason for the scene is to solve that problem and conflict's at the heart of every problem why do you think some authors struggle to create conflict in their stories or their scenes because of all of this i think that sometimes they have a, an idea of, I know what my problem is, and they know the end step for the problem. Uh, say like they, they're trying to rob a bank. The goal is to rob a bank. And they know that that's where the story is going. So they have, here are the steps that need to do to solve the bank. And they know everything that has to be done. And they may write all of those steps, and they may be great steps, but there is nothing in any of those steps that's preventing the character from solving that problem. Or maybe it's just an obstacle. You know, it's yes, there's something they have to overcome, but if it's just we need to sneak past something, we need to break into somewhere, we need to do this, which is all great steps. But if there's never a challenge, it's never hard at all to do any of that, 
you're going to end up with a book that feels very predictable. Uh, there's not going to be a lot of tension in it. People are going to be like, well, I don't really care because it's, it's, this is how this event comes to pass. It's not a character struggling to figure out how to achieve that goal. So that's, that's kind of one reason. One of the other reason is uh, one that I see a lot is you've got, especially with character focused writers. Uh, I'm a very plot focused writer. So I'm always having to, to, shore up my character sides, especially in a first draft. Uh, but I see a lot of character-focused writers who are trying to plot with character arcs. And I think that's another real big issue because you've got internal conflict and external conflict. And a lot of times new writers and even older writers uh, don't fully understand what they are and they mix those up. And especially you'll see somebody trying to plot with a character arc. And character arcs are fabulous. Internal conflicts are fabulous, but they are all internal. You can't plot with an internal character arc. You know, that is what's motivating your character to solve their problems and overcome those external problems. And that's the biggest reason I see people struggling with conflict. Uh, for example, like look at a romance, uh, which is probably one of the harder books to write with conflict because the conflict is all essentially a person versus self conflict. Your love interests both have baggage and they have to overcome that baggage in order to be together and be happy. You, it seems like romances are really simple to write, but they're incredibly difficult because of that conflict issue. It's all internal stuff. So you have to come up with those external reasons that force those characters to be together so they can solve their baggage. And, and that's where the character arc comes in. The character arc establishes the problems and the, the flaws and the internal issues the character has to solve or has to face. But the external plot is the conflict that's going to allow them to sort through all of that. So like if, if the goal is to find love in a character arc, okay, right now, go out and find love. You can't do it because there's no steps. You can't find love, you know. But if somebody says, go out and ask all your friends to set you up, that is an external physical action that you can do. And that is a plot. You know, finding, wanting someone to set you up is a motivation. It's a goal. You know, maybe it's still, you know, maybe it's an internal need, but it's not plot. It's that physical asking people and then they set you up and then you go out on dates. That's the thing that creates the plot. So you see that mixture a lot where people have wonderful character arcs, but they don't have anything externally for the character to struggle against and for the character to physically do. So there's no external conflict to actually form the plot. And then they struggle and they they end up with, you know, scenes that it's a lot of characters kind of floundering around and they're, you know, in their heads too much or they're talking to friends. And they're like, well, you've got great characters. You've got great dialogue. This is really emotional, but it doesn't, it's not going anywhere. Nothing is happening. Uh, so that's probably my biggest ones. I, I can definitely <laughs> relate because I am a character focused writer. And after I finished my first book, I thought I need to study plotting because the way I'm doing it is inefficient. And also I want to throw more obstacles at my characters, create more conflict, create more tension. And I just kind of went on this journey of studying plotting and the different ways of doing it and the different ways of creating stuff. And even now, like, I don't know how many years later, I feel like I'm still learning, which is why I love doing the podcast. It's why I love reading books oh, like yeah. yours. And I have to say, actually, when I was reading your book the other day, you suggested Downton Abbey as an example of tension. And yes. I've, I've never seen Downton. I always assumed it was a bit of an old person show. No offense to any fans out there. I think I'm like the only person who'd never seen it at this point. And I watched the first episode and I just had this moment where I was like, this is genius. Isn't it? Nothing happens in the first yeah. season, especially nothing happens. And you're glued to it. There's so much tension and personal interactions. And you just want to know what happens next, even though there's no actual ex. I mean, there's plenty of conflict, but there's like from a plotting standpoint, it's not like these big, awful things that are happening. And it's it's really brilliant to watch it with that. It, it is. They it, they really, the writers on there did such a phenomenal job of creating that tension and making you just really want to know what happens next. And then you sit back and you look at it and you go, oh my gosh, like the plot was them having tea. How could I want to know <laughs> what so badly what happens when it was like, we had the general over for tea or, you know, whoever came over the Duke, yeah. but yeah, it's just funny. So I'm yeah. glad you gave it a shot to look at it. Yeah, I did. And um, I texted Ellie after I watched it and she was like, how have you never seen it? And now she's what I wanted to rewatch it and analyze it because obviously she just watched it as a fan. And now she's like, oh, maybe I can learn something from analyzing it as well. And it's weird how like, these things that you watch before you learned about writing you can then come back to and learn loads from like you use scandal as an example mm -hmm. as well the first season uh, you don't even need there's like six or eight episodes is yeah. almost a master class in in plotting and unpredictability and twists and turns and secrets and how to layer all that 
fabulous. Like it, you just study that. And that's a great thing. Another great movie uh, that I always recommend and people laugh is Die Hard. Really? Die Hard is brilliantly plotted. Brilliant. You think about that movie in the beginning and a simple, silly little scene. There's Bruce Willis, you know, John McClane is sitting on that airplane and he's all nervous. And he talks to the guy next to his seatmate who says, when you get, when you get, when you land, you know, go in there, take off your shoes and make fists with your feet in the carpet because it'll relax you. So what does McLean do when he gets to the to the building and he goes into the bathroom or the closet or whatever and he's changing? He takes off his shoes and he's making fists with his feet. And that's when everything goes crazy and the bad guys attack. And that's why he has no shoes the rest of the movie, which leads into the shattering of the glass to catch him because he gets the cut feet and to make him all hurt that leads into the dark moment. It is such a tiny, tiny little thing that has the snowball effect of the rest of the movie. And there's twists, there's turns, there's wonderful with the character arcs and the internal conflicts and external conflicts. It is brilliantly plotted. And you think of it as a cheesy action movie and it's absolutely not. If you go back and look at it with that whole, take the notes, how is it plotting? And you're gonna go, oh my goodness, how was this? This was amazing. I have to confess, I've never seen Die Hard. I can imagine it's an old movie. (laughs) No, I love old movies. I genuinely do. So Mm -hmm. my favorites are from the same era as Die Hard. It's just one of the like action films weren't really a thing in my house growing up. And my boyfriend doesn't really rewatch films. So and then just like at Christmas when it replays, it just I never leave it home. (laughs) But now I'm intrigued. (laughs) Study it. Study it. It's it's really it's a great example of plotting. There's a lot of depth and a lot of layers to it. And there's a lot of different conflicts because you've got the internal conflict and the external conflict. It's got a fabulous character arc for Bruce Willis's character. You've got even the love story with him and his wife. I mean, it has a lot of layers. And again, you wouldn't think of it from a cheesy action movie, but it's that way. I was recently talking about Shrek with internal conflict. Shrek has one of the best internal or character arcs out there. He's fabulous. I haven't seen that either. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) I tend to know a lot about films and just not watch them. I'm more of a TV person, but also I just, Mm -hmm. I probably should um, watch Shrek. But anyway, what's the difference between internal and external conflict? Because you mentioned it a couple of times Uh, already. Yes. Oh, I love this. Um, External, like in a nutshell, external conflict uh, are the things that make your care, make make, uh, the problem physically harder for your character to achieve their goal. And internal conflicts are the things that make them mentally harder to achieve those goals. And that might be intellectually or emotionally. A lot of times you see more emotional difficulties than intellectual difficulties, but it can still be that as well. And these are the two things that work together because if you have only external problems, only external conflicts, uh, things are just physically harder to do, then you almost have kind of a literary equivalent of somebody running an obstacle course. Yes, they're going from thing to thing and it's hard and it may be fun watching them overcome it and do it, but who cares? There's nothing at stake. It doesn't matter. It's obvious what's going to happen. Here are these 12 things in a line. I'm going to do all those 12 things. And yeah, sure, it's fun to see it. Maybe they'll fall down and that and we'll have a good laugh. But there isn't anything really emotionally or intellectually compelling about that. The internal conflict is all about that emotional and intellectual struggle. And this is different from a character arc. I'll talk into that next, you know, but your internal conflicts are, you know, why is it harder? emotionally harder for this person to do it. You know, uh, if they need to break into a house, breaking into things seems to be the easiest for examples because it's very clear cut. You know, mysteries are good that way. They're very clear cut on things. Um, If somebody needs to break into a house, if they had a terrible childhood memory where they were attacked by a dog and they're terrified of dogs, having a dog there is going to make that both physically difficult and emotionally difficult and intellectually difficult because physically they have to get past the dog. Emotionally, the dog is going to scare them to death and that is going to affect every decision they make on how they're going to solve this problem. Intellectually, it's going to bother them because they're going to be sitting here going, you fool, you can do it. It's just a dog. You're an adult. It's happened as a child. You know, So that is going to also work on there. So that the internal conflict makes things more interesting from a personal aspect because you can have a problem and the readers aren't going to know how your character is going to resolve that conflict. 
you know, are they going to approach it from a physical, we need to get past this, we need to solve this problem? Is it emotionally going to affect them? So they're going to make strange decisions, maybe they make bad decisions, because it hits all of their hot buttons, you know, is it something that's going to make them turn and run because it really taps into their deepest fears and their deepest wounds? Is it an intellectual puzzle where they know physically how they have to get around it, but they have to figure out, you know, how that's going to come to pass. And it's more of a puzzle. So when you're weaving those different conflicts together, it makes it more unpredictable for the reader because you never know exactly how something's going to unfold. And it's more fun as the writer. Your internal conflicts are going to be there even if you have external conflicts. You can totally have internal conflicts all the time. They're, they're like the two sides of the same coin. How that differs from the character arc is the internal conflicts are the things that are driving your character arc because it's the character arc stems from that flaw, that wound, whatever it is, whatever the baggage the character has that they have to overcome. And that baggage is going to cause those internal or many of those internal conflicts, not all of them, because sometimes you're going to have internal conflicts that have absolutely nothing to do with whatever your backstory and your baggage is. You know, that's just normal, but the character arc will be driven through those emotional internal arcs. And that is going to make them make decisions, make them react to things, you know, in the plot into all those external conflicts. And that's going to affect how they react, how they choose, make decisions, how they interact with people, which will allow them to grow over the course of the book. So it's almost like a three separate things kind of there. Based on that, then, would you say that a story needs internal and external conflict to work? Or can a writer use or focus on just one? I think they need internal and external to work. I do not think it needs a character arc to work. And that's the difference. And that's where a lot of people get messed up because they associate internal conflict with a character arc, which is they're two different things. Internal conflicts are part of a character arc, but they are separate from a character arc. Because like, this is the obstacle course example again. If you have no internal conflict, it's an obstacle course. So the internal conflict is what makes your readers care. What it what makes your characters feel more human, more relatable, uh, that causes a lot more uh, interest and, and helps helps you write your internalization in that because that's where all a lot of times your internalization is where all the all that internal conflict and those internal thoughts are coming from. Um, but you do not need a character arc in every book. Not every character needs to grow. Uh, and a lot of times people if they're struggling, especially if they think internal conflict means a character arc, you'll have something like, you know, a political thriller or, uh, you know, like a, a, a straight up procedural mystery or something. And they feel like the character has to have this big emotional character arc and they force it into a plot, into a genre that doesn't need it. I mean, Jack Reacher never grows. James Bond never grows. They may have plenty of internal conflicts, but they're not growing as a character because that's not the point of the book. You know, so if you're trying to force that internal character arc into a plot that doesn't need it, you're going to run into all kinds of problems. You're running into pacing problems. You're going to have characters that are going to be too in their head. Your plots aren't going to move fast enough. And then you're going to struggle. And then you're going to be like, but I'm doing what I'm supposed to. No, no don't need always need a character arc so. yeah i read um a Stuart mcbride book that my friend recommended to me recently and it's the first book in a series and the character doesn't really arc but there's lots of internal conflict because he's coming back to work after an injury so there's kind of dealing with the trauma of that and also mm -hmm. his ex-girlfriend keeps turning up so you have the yeah. like what's going on in his head of like does she hate me am i a terrible person oh my gosh, is she dating someone else? But it never feels like when he does these things or like when he explains things in a lot of depth and uses really beautiful imagery, like it's slowing the plot down because it fits really well with it. It was one of the first books where I read that I read that wasn't so character focused where I'm like, this is so good. Because I, I, I struggle so. without the heavy emphasis on characters just because of the type of person I am. But that one just really clicked with me because I felt like there was so much internal conflict it humanized him more and it made him feel less mm -hmm. like an automaton solving this crime. Exactly. And that's where that's where the internal conflict, that's why I feel that you need to have that even in a very plot focused heavy book, because that is that's the character side of conflict. You know, you've got your plot side of conflict, which is the external and character side, which is the internal. And you need those to play against each other because it characterizes and it it creates that human element. You know, and it's, you know, plots are great. I love plots, but 
you know, I, like I'll be perfectly happy to watch a very plot solid movie because, you know, two hours of popcorn fun is great, but I want more in a book if I'm, you know, I, I need more than that in a book. And I think it makes the book more memorable then as well when you've got that balance because the character feels much more human and oh, much more relatable. Exactly, exactly. Because, we, you know, people tend to remember people uh, and things. There was an old advertising trick that, you know, you put faces in advertising and ads and things like that because faces, people are drawn to faces, they remember them and it's, it's, uh, it definitely makes it more relatable. So the same thing with books, you know, it's, when you ask everybody, oh, what's your favorite book? They'll talk about books, but they're going to talk about books because they love the characters more times than this was a great plot. I mean, they may say that, but when you get a bunch of people together, you, you, you hear people, you think about people talking about books or talking about their favorite, uh, a lot, quite often they're talking about their favorite characters more than actual book. Yeah. It reminds me of that Maya Angelou quote that I always forget it's something about you don't remember what people said or did but you remember how they made you feel how they made you feel mm-hmm. yeah exactly and that's what Great it is quote that is totally what it is because you will completely forget that. the plot particularly if you binge read a series or you're just mm-hmm. a fast reader anyway because everything merges together that you will remember how attached you were to those characters in those deep emotional moments like I read yes. um a book recently and the main character broke up with a boyfriend and I was like feeling the pain physically it was like a lump in my throat and that's a brilliant writer who's able to pull that out of you i mean that's that's skill that is really good skill to do that oh yeah it was an amazing breakup scene because she spent like three books building up this relationship and then she just shatters it to pieces in one scene and that does take skill well there was Mm -hmm. kind of like a subtle build-up with like issues with his family and money and all that kind of stuff but it looked like they were going to get that happy ever after and then she rips it away from you sweet my kind of writer. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's genius. I, I need to finish the series, but I did get a bit annoyed at the main character because she just kept making problems for herself and not seeming oh. to learn. So that frustrated mm. me a bit. So I just kind of needed a break from her melodrama, but I fully yes. intend to finish it. No, I do that. That's that's uh, definitely a pet peeve of mine with, with certain characters who who never, ever learn. That yeah, you want to bang like... their head against a wall. It's like, have some common sense. I know it's like this 13 books in and you're making the same mistakes you made in book one. I had a series like that that just I had to take a break between books because I really love the book. It was just the series is just this one aspect of the character that drove me nuts. So like I needed a break in between each book so that I could just calm down and then like get back into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was me. I think that might be why I've been reading more nonfiction and like police procedural to get away from like the emotions <laughs> of that book. <laughs> yep, I can see that. <laughs> One of the things you mentioned in your book is something called an if-then statement. So can you explain mm-hmm. what they are and why they're helpful? Yes. Um, I forget the name. There's like an official name for it. Uh, but for me, it is the cause and effect of a story. And when it, this is a really helpful outline tool uh, that when I'm developing a story and a plot that I use, because you can write down and you can say, well, if a character does this or thinks this or feels this way, then this is the result. And it helps you double check to make sure that whatever you have that's causing something, there is a logical effect and that they're actually linked. Because you might have something that was like, well, you know, if Cinderella wants to meet the prince, then she has to go to the ball. Well, that's a premise. There's nothing in that statement that's going to actually help you plot or write a book. You know, so it's like if she wants to meet the prince, you know, or so if she wants to go to the ball, you almost like have to take some steps back. If she wants to the ball, the ball to the ball, then she's going to need a dress. Okay, well, that gives you at least a plot place. How is she going to get the dress? Okay, if she needs a dress, then she needs to figure out how to get it. You know, so how does she get the dress? You know, okay, well, if she, you know, cries really hard around a bunch of mice, then a good fairy will show up, you know, so that kind of stuff, you know, but those are how the if then statements work. So if you notice that your if statement doesn't give you any path or clue of how specifically to get to your then statement, then you know that you're missing something, you're missing that obstacle, you're missing your conflict, you're missing your your goal, your plot, whatever, you're missing something that, you know, your effect is not actually being triggered by your cause. And, and that helps a lot with plotting. And that way you can like, a lot of times people have problems with plotting because they're doing too general and they're looking too much at the big picture. And if you pull down and look specifically at what has to, needs to be done, especially externally, because a lot of times you get that, well, they want to be happy. They want to find love. You know, they want to, they want to live happily ever after. It's like, yeah, that that's great, but that's internal. That's, that's not external. So you see, think that what specifically has to be done? What's the specific problem? And then with your conflict, what specifically is in the way? What is keeping them from getting that, from resolving that? 
problem from getting that goal. And that's just a good uh, format to get into because it'll help you avoid a lot of problems if you outline, not everybody outlines. Um, this could be a good revision tool. If you're more of a pantser and you just like to wing it, then when you're going back doing uh, your revision, you can go through and outline your chapters and then do this if then statement and make sure that your book is flowing the way you want it to flow. And if you run into problems, then at least you know where your weak spots are and you know exactly what to do, you know, where to fix them. Out of curiosity, do you outline your books? Extensively. <laughs> yeah, no, I do a lot of outlining. I do a full editorial map. I do a scene by scene, usually like a paragraph or so per scene, um, sometimes more if there's a lot going on. I like to joke that I always know where I'm going, but I don't always know how I'm going to get there. Sometimes I know the direction and I, I just kind of figure out some of the stuff as I write the scene because things change a little bit. Like I know here's my problem and here's where I want it to end up. We'll see what the characters do. So I kind of plot outline my plot, but pants my characters a little bit. Uh, I, I'm a little strange that way. I like to, um, I figure out who they are during the first draft. So I like to throw them into horrific danger and throw them into the, into the muck and then see how they get out of it. And sometimes they surprise me, like what I expect them to do, it just turns out not doing it. And then as I, you know, toss them into the fire and go here, solve that problem. And then slowly I figured out who they are and then their personalities develop. And then I can go back. And hopefully that happens early within the first act. And then the rest of the book is okay. Uh, and then I don't have to do quite as much revision, but sometimes it's, you know, not until the final act that I finally realize, ah, that's who you are. And then I have to revise like a whole book for that, or at least change, you know, their personality and how they react to things. I, I like that system. Mine tends to be, like I said, I start with the characters and then I have the plot and I'm like, what's the worst thing that I can do to this character and then I just like incapacitate them or yeah I do injure my characters quite a lot actually or I throw a few ghosts around I, oh. what doesn't kill them <laughs> makes them more interesting yeah <laughs> I love being mean to my characters I I had a friend that she wanted to adopt my main character from my trilogy she's like I just want to adopt Naya because you're so mean to her <laughs> Yeah, I've had comments like, please don't be mean to these characters. They've been through enough. I'm like, if I'm not mean, there's no story. And then you've got no more to read. Exactly. Exactly. Totally. Right there with you. We're on that one. <laughs> so then this is obviously a lot to juggle. What would be your advice for someone who is feeling overwhelmed by conflict and plotting and character arcs and everything else that goes into creating a great story? I, I would say go back to the basics. Focus on Every story, uh, I had a creative writing teacher who had the best description for stories that I ever said. She says, it's interesting people solving interesting problems in interesting ways. And like stick that as a post-it on your monitor kind of thing. Think about what is your protagonist trying to do? What problem are they trying to solve? What's in the way? What's making it harder for them to solve that problem? And if you just think about that and focus on the steps you know, what are they doing? What's the next step right in front of them? And then it will lead you through your plot kind of thing. And it also will make you think about what does the character have to do? Because I think when writers struggle with plotting and issues in writing, one of the big things is that they have their characters acting and doing things that they want them to do, but they don't have the characters acting the way they would if they were living in that world. It's the author saying, you're going to do this. It's not the character saying, well, gee, I want to solve this problem. How am I going to accomplish that? You know, so if you think about what does the character do, uh, that helps a lot because it gives you something specific to write towards, you know? And if you're a character writer, you can be like, well, how is my character feeling? What are they going to do to change that emotion? Because usually if they're feeling something or if they're emotional over something, you know, it, it's a story. So something about the way they feel, they want to change. Otherwise you wouldn't have the story. So what are they going to do to change whatever it is they're unhappy about or whatever it is they're feeling about? And then you can kind of just link those little pieces together like breadcrumbs. I really like that concept. That's kind of what I do when I come up with my new characters is like, just working out their relationships and fleshing things out from there. And sometimes it takes a bit, but then if you're writing a series, you've done it once, you've got it for however many books. Mm -hmm, yeah. So taking that time um, up front, I think, can make a difference sometimes. It definitely can. Yeah. And, you know, every writer's different. So depending on what your process is, you know, like obviously you're a character writer who puts a lot of character work. And then once you understand those characters, you know how they're going to react in any given situation because you know them so well. So for you, it's a matter, probably I'm guessing here, so, you know, it's probably a matter of, okay, here's this problem. How are the other characters going to act 
to create those external conflicts, you know, and with me, I know what my external conflicts are and I'm looking going, how are my characters going to act about this? So it's the same thing, but it's just from a different, you know, we're coming at them from two different angles, you know, and you have characters who you have writers who might be more of, I'm, I love setting and world building. They may develop these incredible settings, these incredible worlds. And, you know, and I mean, that was a little bit with my first book, you know, I have this fun world, who can I put into it and make them miserable, you know, so that's how they approach it. So you have different approaches, you know, but I do think the more, for me, the more work you do on the front end, I think saves you work on the back end, but not everybody writer is like that. So if it's not, if you're not like everybody listening here, if you're not like that, don't stress, don't feel that you have to know everything before you start writing. It may just mean you're not that type of writer and you might be miserable and it might hurt your process if you try to do that. So like if a process isn't working for you, try another process until you find one that feels good. <laughs> yeah. I have spoken to a lot of people about their writing processes now, and I would say 90% of people have some form of outline before they start writing. And the one person I spoke to who didn't have an outline before she started writing did the outline after she'd done a first draft to help her edit yeah wouldn't you kind of know the structure of what you're going for and you remember every scene has a purpose i think that was that's basically what i've got from talking to people is that regardless of whether you are pantsing or plotting as long as you remember the scene must have a purpose it gives you kind exactly. of some sense of focus yeah you have that direction if you know where you're going you know what the characters are trying to accomplish again it's that gmc what's the conflict they're trying to overcome physical mental emotional that's why it's so critical to your entire book. Yeah, the book I'm editing at the moment, the subplot wasn't working and I couldn't figure out why. And I realized the other day, it's actually because there's not enough internal conflict and it doesn't match the character because she would be terrified of this particular incident because it's tied to something quite traumatic that happened when she was younger. And I hadn't drawn on that enough and essentially tortured her with it enough. And so it just kind of felt flat instead of the emotional journey that it will be, because she has to solve this problem, but she has to overcome the emotions that are making her feel absolutely terrified before she can solve it. Which is fabulous. That's a great character arc kind of thing, because that is, she has to grow. So Yeah, and all that came from watching a movie trailer. <laughs> Movies. Love movies for that. Okay. Now, see, now I, now I want to know which movie trailer. <laughs> I can't remember the name of it. Oh, no. <laughs> I genuinely can't. But my friend linked me to it. She's like, this looks like kind of a cool ghost film. And I watched it. And it just got some subtle ways of building the tension. And I knew that was something I wanted to work on because obviously it is a big part of ghost stories. And if I'm going to write a ghost series... I need to, you know, yes. know more about tension because otherwise every ghost story is going to feel the same and readers are going to get it bored. Is. And it's not Mama, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. But that is on my list okay. of to watch because of your book. It's a new film. And I just remember this shot of bloody footprints going up the stairs. And I thought, I can use something similar because my main character is working on a building site. So she, if oh, she okay. sees footprints on the stairs, she's going to assume it is a builder who's just made a mess before she came in to paint it. But actually, it's the poltergeist who is like going to subtly torment her. Oh, and fun. she is terrified of poltergeist because one killed her husband. Oh, very nice. But she is the only person who can exercise the poltergeist as well. So she has to get over her fear of poltergeist before she can actually do her job essentially because she does all the diy stuff and then also does the ghost hunting on the side because obviously that's not going to pay the bills that sounds a lot of fun thank you yeah i actually really enjoyed writing that subplot and i wrote the entire thing in one day nice haven't edited it yet may hate it when i edit it but we'll see <laughs> yeah that, that's true for you you hate it when you're editing it and then after you get done and then you let it sit and then you know you start thinking about it a couple days later and you go you know maybe it's not so bad you go back and look at it and you realize okay this is okay or I need to yeah. fix this. Every book goes through that. I completely hate it. I'm never writing again. <laughs> I went through that last month. <laughs> 100% went through that. Had to be talked up a ledge by a few people. Yep, yep. I've got, I have two, uh, two manuscripts and in, in revisions right now. And it's the same, uh, same thing. I have things where it's like, yes, it's working. And then I think last week I was like, oh, I have to go back and rewrite the first chapter of this one yet again, because it's just not working. Maybe I should just dump the whole thing and move on to something else. Yeah. I think we all have that point in a book where we're like, nope, can't do it. I've had enough. I'm throwing in the towel. And then your ability to get over those moments, I think, is what will define you as a writer, as an author, as a publisher. I would agree. And that's where your crit groups are great and your writer friends, because they definitely, as you said, they can 
can talk you in off the ledge because oh yeah they remind you of what is what is good about the book and they you know talk you up and remind you that you're not a talentless hack and and apparently <laughs> this is true for even like best-selling authors and millions of I think Joanna Penn has a really great story on her blog where there was some panel and it had like like um Lee Child was on there and uh, Maya Angelou might have even been on there one. There were like four or five different authors. And I think she said like between the five authors, they had sold something like $600 million or 600 million books between them. And and she says that authors there were like, oh yeah, every every editing day, I think that absolutely everything I wrote was crap and people are going to figure out I'm a complete nutter fraud. And these are authors with like 30 books on the bestseller list. So I think this is just an aspect of creativity or at least an aspect of writers. Maybe it's just part of our writing process. You have to just think that it's terribly and awful. And, and that's what drives us to actually go back and revise and make it better and really pull out the best possible story we can get from it. It pushes you to kind of always be trying to improve your craft then as well. So you're not mm-hmm. just rushing, oh, I know how to write a book. I won't study anymore. If you're constantly, I hasten to say, doubting yourself, and that's kind of what it is, then there is that voice in your head like, oh, what can I learn? What can I study next? Where can I experiment next? So it also keeps it fresh for you and your readers as well. Exactly. And you always want to push yourself and do things and like, well, I haven't done this before, or let's try this complicated narrative structure, or, you know, let's try to do this unusual pairing between things. And, and it's fun and it frustrating is. sometimes, <laughs> but, but fun. When it works, then you feel like on top of the world. And when it doesn't, you know, you crawl into your desk with chocolate and call <laughs> your friends. <laughs> yeah. And then you're talked off the ledge and then you go back and fix it and then you don't hate it as much. Exactly. It's a vicious circle. <laughs> it is. But I think... There's definitely some part of us that likes it on some level or we wouldn't keep coming back to it. We would have thrown in the towel a long time ago. Absolutely. I think it's that that sense of reward and satisfaction when you get a story that finally works. And especially if you've got your, you know, either your beta readers or actual readers who read it and they enjoy it and they they get what you were trying to do. And they and especially it's even even better when they start seeing things that you never intended, that your whole subconscious kind of slipped in there. Uh, and they start seeing things and that story comes alive for them. And it just well, it's the whole reason why we do this, right? We're storytellers. We want to go out and entertain readers and have readers get lost in the worlds and the characters that we see in our heads. Uh, there may be different different directions to get to that. But I think ultimately writers, probably that's why they're trying to write. At least the ones that, that are going to be struggling the same way. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know, yeah. it's all about the readers and making sure the reader has the best experience possible. 100%. Speaking of your reading experience then, what's oh. one book that changed your life? Actually, mine is a short story, not a book. Uh, When I was in seventh grade, my English teacher, Mrs. Hagee, played us a record. Okay, I'm dating myself here. Um, Played us a record of Harlan Ellison's actually reading Repent Harlequin Said the TikTok Man. Harlan Ellison's my favorite author. And that is my favorite piece of writing ever is, is that story. And him reading his own work blew me away. And I was like, and I was even, I was writing even at that point, not good books, but I was writing novels even at that point. And I was like, if I could even get to be just have one tiny pinky of the talent that this man has, then that would make me happy. And I started reading everything of his that I could and started studying writing and trying to figure out how he did these amazing, incredible stories. And he's the one who really, really made me go, I want to do this. You know, and I, it was, it took still another decade or two before it ever really occurred to me that I could make a living out of that, or I could try to do that as a career or even try to get published. But he definitely just uncorked that whole love of writing and stories and gave me a direction as to what I was shooting for. And he definitely changed my life on that. Just fabulous. Those stories that trigger something and you definitely stick with you, don't they? And they do. They do. Um, probably the other, but I wouldn't say it changed my life, but it definitely had an effect on me was Max's, Max Brooks, uh, World War Z. What he did was just amazing because I remember I was sitting in there reading and I, I was home alone and there's this storm outside and I'm reading it and and I know it's fiction. But the way he does it, it's all, it's, it reads like an, it's reads like narrative nonfiction and it felt so real. It was starting to freak me out a little bit. Like I was like the branches would scratch and I'm like, it's the zombies at the door. Like I could picture the zombies coming up to my house. I'm like, I know all of this is fake, but it was hard not to believe that everything he had written about had actually happened. And just I thought that was brilliant. And I was, I was like, how in the world did he manage this? Like to make something like a zombie apocalypse feel like nonfiction. And, and that just, 
so that's another one of the books that I just think was just brilliantly done because it just changed my mind and it just shocked me so much and made me just really want to try to, to reach for something so far above me. Even like, I didn't even know that was possible. And now here it is. So like, could I have that same kind of effect on a reader one day? So those are probably my two, my two big ones. That's amazing. Like, it feels like the worst <laughs> possible time to be reading a zombie book, but also the most perfect time. Oh, it is. Well, normally that stuff never bothered me. It never scared me. It was just rain. I mean, I I, I grew up and at this point, I still live in, in Florida. And I mean, we ha- you could set your watch by thunderstorms. So thunderstorms, hurricanes, that stuff. Yeah, that's just normal. I mean, that's practically lullabies to me. You know, it's uh, rain. That doesn't bother me. But that night it did. <laughs> which was really funny. Definitely moved, moved me. Where can our listeners go to find out more about you? Uh, well, if you're looking for the writing stuff, which if you're watching this podcast, I'm sure you are, go to uh, Fiction University. It's fiction-university.com. That's that's my blog. I said I've been doing it for about 13 years. There's probably, I think we've just, cre- I just crested over 3,000 articles on writing. Wow. I have, yes, it's, it's crazy. I've been doing this for so long. And it has uh, guest authors that I bring in um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they talk about their process and what they do. Because I firmly believe there's no right way to write and everybody's process is different. And my approach may not work for you, but one of my guest authors, their approach may absolutely work for you. So I have a lot of recurring um, you know, monthly authors and I have a lot of just one-time shots and there is stuff for authors or writers who are like, gee, I want to write, where do I start? And then there's information on publishing and marketing and more advanced, you know, help and articles on things like I'm an author with 15 books. How do I further my career? How do I up my game? You know, so there is, you know, pretty much a wide variety of stuff. Uh, there's things on indie publishing. There's things on short stories. I started that this year was a focus on short fiction. And I have three really, really amazing short fiction writers who are, who are writing articles on that. And pretty much if you have a question about writing, it's going to be on that blog. If it's not, then please email me and ask me. I will be happy to answer it. And I am also desperately looking for new topics to write about. <laughs> I'll bet after that long. <laughs> At that long, it's tough. Sometimes it's really challenging to figure out what I do. And that's there. And for fiction, you can look at JaniceHardy.com. Um, I do have a, a blog website on that, although I do not update it very often because I am totally wrapped up with Fiction University. It is a labor of love. It takes all my time um, on that one. Or not all my time, but all of my free time where it's not writing on the novels and stuff. But, yeah, my but yeah. fiction and, blog is neglected for the same reason. I mean, I have some adult stuff now, but I started off writing for kids. And, you know, your 10 and 12 year olds aren't reading blogs. They're not online. So it wasn't anything I ever had to do. So I never really developed that aspect of it. And every time I try to think about what to do with a fiction blog, I'm like, nobody cares about what I, you know, if you care about what I have to say, you care about what I have to say about writing. And I have a blog for that. <laughs> so, so it's tough. Yeah, fiction blogs are tough, I, I think, you know, unless, unless you've got like a real shtick to talk about. Like the mystery, all the cozy, the cozy mystery writers who have like, you know, like the, like, you know, like the quilting or the, the hairstyling or the something where they've got something they can talk about that their readers like, or, you know, like ghost stories is great for you. Like you could talk about ghost stories. There's all kinds of cool stuff you could do on a fiction blog for that. Like you could always talk about these neat ghosts and these neat things that you found like that stuff. I, then, then you're lucky. And my fantasy stuff. I don't, that, I don't think there's anything I could talk about. <laughs> It is hard. You have to kind of tune your brain into thinking that way. Okay, where is content mm-hmm. inspiration? But there is content inspiration everywhere if you are kind of mm-hmm. tuned into looking for it. But I think it also helps yes. to read other people's content and see what they're doing because oh, sometimes that can spark it. And also then you know how they're doing stuff as well. Yeah, absolutely. That helps a lot. Especially authors you admire and people who, if there's any blogs out there you read and stuff and you like with authors, like, well, what do they do? How do they, how are they doing that? It's a good thing to study. I know it's like you've got two almost completely different levels of education because you've got the whole writing education, you know, it's the being the writer and then there's the being the professional author. (laughs) And it's like two completely different mindsets, two completely different sides of your brains, but they're both fun. Oh yeah, definitely. Anyway, thank you for joining us. It's been a really great chat. Thank you. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Did you find this episode enlightening? Don't forget to hit that shiny, shiny subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, hit like and subscribe. It really helps other writers find our videos and it lets us know what kind of content you want more of. And don't forget, you can support us over on a Patreon for less than your favorite coffee a month. Join our growing gang of writers to get early access to episodes, bonus content, weekly writing sprints and monthly writing catch-ups with us. 
Visit patreon.com forward slash writers mindset to come and join us. See you next time. Keep writing. Keep writing.